0: That's what we talked about last week. And now this week, we're talking about how Jesus is the victor. Come on. Let's go. Put the slide up there, the victor, which we're not talking about Victor Martinez. Um, we're talking about the victor as in he wins. Jesus is a winner. It's all he does is win, win, win. That's Jesus, okay? All right. So we're talking about how Jesus defeated death through his resurrection and also will come back a second time to defeat suffering and evil once and for all when he returns. So I'm excited to jump into that. But before we do, I want to talk about victory a little bit. So when I think of victory, I think of my fourth grade baseball team. It was kid pitched for the first time ever, and there's a fourth and fifth grade league, and there's eight fourth graders on my team and two fifth graders. So if you know the difference between fourth and fifth graders, it can be pretty staggering. It can be like this difference, you know, like a whole head difference in size. And there's one team called AutoMax, okay? They're sponsored by a car lot, okay? And that team had like 10 fifth graders and two fourth graders. And this team whipped on us every time during the regular season. Like It looked like it was like t-ball kids versus professionals. They just whipped on us so bad. And then we played them in the tournament. So at the end of our season, we'd have a tournament. It's a double elimination tournament. I'll throw the picture here of the bracket. I still have the bracket. Okay, so Priority is my team, and Automax is the other team. And they won the first round, played Kosciken, construction back in the day. And then they beat Cost again and we beat Denny's and then we beat some other team, I can't read it. And then we played Automax and whoever won would go into the championship. The thing is with this kind of tournament is you have to lose twice to get knocked out. Okay, so we played them at I think it's one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday and they whipped on us again and we went down to the losers bracket. You can see us just drop down there. We played old Denny's again and whipped on them and then it was us and Automax in the championship. And here's the deal. For us to be the champions, we'd have to beat Automax twice in a doubleheader on a Thursday night, okay? So playing two games like that late at night, it was pretty, the odds were stacked against us, let's just say that. But the first game we were ready, we put in our best pitcher and we beat them somehow. Somehow we finally beat Automax. I think it's because they were actually trying to save their good pitchers for the last game just in case we had two games. So the second game, they put in their best pitcher, we put in our worst pitcher, and it gets to... The bottom of the last inning I think we're winning like six to five we're up by one point uh, there's two outs there's a guy on third base there's a dude up to bat it's just like a storybook thing and he gets a couple strikes he swings the pitcher was terrible I love him still to this day but he just wasn't that good but the guy was swinging because he was nervous and there was also three balls so full count if you know what that is full count you know the umpire does that they put up their fist it's so a full count or whatever they do they do this I think I forget but anyways full count I'm playing catcher And I'm thinking, Lord, please, this would be amazing. I'm sitting there playing catcher. I can remember the ball coming in. I'm sitting down like this. It's coming way up here. I'm like, okay, this ain't going to be a strike. But the kid swings like this, and we win the game. I throw the ball down. I run to the pitcher, and I tackle his butt. Because we just had the greatest comeback of all time. The fourth graders beat the fifth graders. Throw up this next picture here. This is us celebrating. Look at those kids. There's me with the teeth. The white teeth. It was my dad up there in the left corner. And this guy with his pub and grub shirt on. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I love that guy. Okay, back to the story. That's my dad. My dad was the head coach. You go to the next picture here. It's me and my dad at the end hugging. The best, or the best victory of all time in the minor league championship thing. It was amazing. All right, and here's the deal. It didn't just end on that day. Like we partied all summer. Like our parents, like they loved to party together, just to be honest. And every week there was a pool party at our house. There was a bonfire. There was kids going crazy. We partied all summer long. We'd camp out all the time. We were just so full of joy. It was like the most joy I ever felt up to that point in my life, because it was just, and there were some other things that were going on behind the scenes, some rivalries and things like that, so it just felt so good. There was even some rivalries between parents, some parents who were related to each other from different teams that had a bad past, okay? So just things like that went into it, but we were pumped, and here's the deal. When I look back on that story, I can't help but think, or, just I, or if I had not experienced or the loss and the sadness of losing those first three games against them, I don't think the victory at the end would have been as sweet. Like, if we would have been in the winner's bracket, just spanking everybody, actually the next year we went undefeated because we were all fifth graders, and it wasn't that much fun, to be honest, because we're winning every single game. But I think the bad days of losing to Automax helped make the good day of beating them all the sweeter. That's what I want to talk about a bit tonight. See, the deal is with life is we're going to face some hard times. Each of you have come in here tonight, and you have tasted bitterness. You've tasted Hard times. You've seen suffering and you've seen sadness. And it can be hard to live this life. But I believe that God has a season for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 4, says this. It says, For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. Don't kill anybody, but a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So in this life, there's going to be birth. There's going to be death. There's going to be times of planting. There's going to be times of plucking up, times of killing and times of healing, times of breaking down, times of being built up, times of weeping. That's going to happen in life. You're going to weep. That will come. There'll be this time that you face at some point where you just weep. You can't find anything in you to have joy. You just weep. And there's going to be times also of laughter. Think of weddings, how much fun those are. Times of joy, times of dancing. Life gives us both good and bad times. And I believe that God doesn't cause the bad times, but I do believe also, despite the fact that he doesn't cause them, that God still uses our bad times for our good. I believe that God actually leverages our bad times for our growth. And God uses them to help us understand the good times, to truly taste good how good the good times are. So we've all went through hard times in this place. We've known grief. You know, I think every person in this room has probably known grief to some extent. We've uh, seen pain. We've felt pain. We've known betrayal maybe in this place. We have known loss. We've known dashed hopes. You've had hopes for things, and it didn't work out the way that you thought it would. You've been disappointed. But the thing we can take heart, and just as the song said, and I didn't plan that, but it just worked out, but the second song talks about how we can take heart because Jesus overcomes, because Jesus is the overcomer, and at the last day, Jesus will come back, and he will set all things right. Jesus is the victor. Jesus knew that there would be hard times, but he also promised that at, that at the very end, he would overcome death. It says in John 16, it says, I have said these thing, or things to you, that in me you may have peace in the hard times. He doesn't say that, but I'm throwing that in there. In the world, you have peace tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. So tonight we're going to look at how Jesus is victorious in and through our suffering and how he will put all suffering and death to rest at the last day. So the main idea tonight is this, if you're taking notes. Jesus is the greatest of all time because he's victorious over death, suffering, and evil. And we're going to look at John 11 today. So if you want to turn there, you can Otherwise, it's on the screen. I think it's fun to look in the Bible. Like, guys, bring your Bibles. It's fun. You look in there. You can see if I'm telling the truth. Like, you know, preachers can take things out of context if you're not looking at the Scripture, okay? Just saying. Like, I could be taking something completely out of the place it should be and trying to make it into something. So I'm just encouraging you. If you want to bring a Bible, you can do that. But as I just guilted you, now I'm going to pray. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence tonight. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for John 11, this incredible chapter that shows your victorious nature. And God, I pray tonight that each of us would be encouraged in this place. God, I pray that each of us would know that you're an overcomer and that through you we can overcome as well. So, God, we love you and we thank you. I just pray that your Spirit would do his work in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, the Gospel of John is just that it's a gospel. Okay, so the Gospel of John is one of the four historical records we have of Jesus' life, and they're authoritative. Uh, or so we know they're true. And the other three Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the Gospel of John, we talked about this the first week of it, but it records some really incredible miracles that Jesus does. You know, we looked at John chapter 5, and in that chapter, Jesus comes to this man who's been invalid, and I'm still not sure what that means, to be honest, but it was bad. For 38 years, he's sitting by this pool, and he thinks if he can be put in the pool, then he'll be healed. Jesus comes after 38 years and says, get up your... He says, get up, take up your bed and walk, and the man walks. It's incredible. And then Jesus walks on water. You know, Jesus turns water into wine. Uh, Jesus heals a man born blind. There's some truly incredible miracles, but I think the most incredible miracle in the gospel of John is found in John 11, where Jesus actually raises a dead man named Lazarus. And in the opening verses of this chapter, we see that there's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're uh, just Lazarus's sisters. And And Jesus was actually friends with these three. And they had asked Jesus to come and to heal their brother because they knew he was going to die. And they said, Jesus, if you come, we know if you touch him, then he can be healed. We've seen you do that. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to take my time because I want you to see the glory of God. So Jesus doesn't come. He lets him die. And then in verse 17, we see uh, just what uh, Jesus is planning to do. So Jesus comes, and this is what it says in verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, just about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to, or to Martha and Mary to counsel them, or to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Uh, but or Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's giving Jesus, and she's like, uh-uh, if you had been here, he would not have died. She's just telling him off. That's how it goes, all right? You can tell Jesus off. Actually, don't do that. I don't know. It's up to you. Anyways, it's has gone. But even I know that just whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So then she pats him on the back after that and says, you know, you have a good relationship with God. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says to him, I know that, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes or who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? We have to ask ourselves that question. Do we believe that? Because that changes our perspective in hard times if we truly believe that. Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. I just feel like she's saying this all sassy, the Son of God who's coming into the world. I believe it. I don't know, maybe she's not doing that. I just put that in the text. See, you gotta gotta have your own Bible so you can see what's going on. All right, so the first point tonight is this. Suffering is a reality of life. Suffering is a reality of life. And you're probably like, I did not need to come here to find that out. But I'm just gonna point out the obvious, okay? Suffering is a reality of life. If you live long enough, then you'll come to terms with this reality. Suffering, death, and evil are realities of life. They're going to come. We get sick. Family members pass away. People abuse one another. People who claim to love each other abuse one another. It's crazy. Hurricanes come and ravage our cities, as we've seen with Hurricane Harvey and this next one that's coming, praying for that one. It's crazy what's going on in our world. You know, women experience, or experience miscarriages and terrorists blow themselves up in the name of God. In North Korea, let's not even talk about that. I don't know what that little dude's doing, but he's freaking me out too, Okay. <laughs> There's some bad stuff going on. I feel like he's going to get this audio, and I'm like, not going to be back next week. Anyways, <laughs> our leaders can be corrupt at times. Our politicians can be corrupt. And on a more personal level, we experience anxiety. Some of us experience anxiety in this place. We get depressed. We get dumped. You know, that can seem like a small thing, but that's a big deal, getting dumped, okay? So I don't want to minimize that just because I'm married now. Like, I got a ring on it. It feels good, but I know some of you are dealing with that. You've been dumped. That happens, Got something else in here. Oh yeah. And we don't get to do everything that we dreamed of when we were young. Or some of us had some dreams and it seems like our dreams aren't going to come to pass. We get disappointed. Life can be hard. And in our text, Mary and Martha, these two sisters, are dealing with the death of their beloved brother Lazarus. Their brother had died. He had been in a tomb for four days and and Martha showed some signs of hope. Or she said that she knew that on the last day that God would raise her brother up. And she even acknowledged Jesus' ability to raise him in that moment. But the reality of his death was beginning to settle in. And she said in deep disappointment, this was in deep disappointment, she said, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. If you had been here, Lord, we've all said that to God at some point or the other. If you had been here, then that would not have happened. Grief was just beginning to settle in her bones. She was beginning to feel the deep grief and disappointment of the moment. If only Jesus had come earlier, she thought. She came face to face with suffering in her life. It was staring her down, and she even tried to encourage herself. She's like, yeah, on the last day you'll raise people up. She's trying to encourage herself, but despite her pure effort, she just can't seem to be encouraged. If you live long enough, you'll experience what she experienced on that day, that intense grief and disappointment. And if you've experienced suffering, you've asked the question, Jesus, where were you? You've asked that question. And tonight I'm gonna try to answer these questions a bit. I'm gonna try to answer why does God allow suffering? And I'm not gonna be able to do it. So I'm just gonna tell you now. You're not gonna walk out of here and say, I figured it all out. Because I don't know, there's a lot of stuff on this side of eternity that I don't understand, and that's okay. But I'm gonna try to shine some light on it, get a glimpse of why God allows suffering in our lives. So the first thing we must establish if we're gonna get this is that in the very beginning, God created everything good. It says in Genesis 131, it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Like, not just good, but very good. God said it was good. But God gave us free will to make choices. So here's the thing: if we want to have a relationship with someone, we don't want to force them to love us. Like that wouldn't be fun. I mean, some of you may be like you really like a person and you're like, I don't care how it happens, I'm gonna force them to love me. Like if I could get a potion like on Harry Potter 6 or whatever when Takes the potion, Ron. Okay, anyways, I'm not going to share the story, but just watched the movie. But anyways, some of you would do that, but for the most part, we don't want to force people to love us. That's not true love. And in the beginning, God gave us a choice. He said, you can either just love me with your whole heart and obey my commandments, or you can choose sin. And we chose sin. You know, Adam and Eve, the story, they took the apple, they ate it, and they chose sin. And ever since then, we've been choosing God's stuff over God. We've been choosing sin over God. And that's how death and evil and suffering has come into the world. The second thing we have to get so, first thing is that God created it good. It's not His fault. He does allow it, so we need to come to terms with that. Like, God's not like, it's not like God can't do anything, but He does allow suffering, but God doesn't cause it. And I think that's important. The second thing we have to get is this is that although suffering isn't good, God is committed to using it for our good in the end. You know, Jason shared uh, from Romans eight twenty eight 28 tonight, he said this, he said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God takes all the stuff of our life, all the events, and he tries to work them together for our good. And in the end, we'll be able to look back and say, that was for my good. However bitter it was at the time, however hard it was, God leveraged that for good. And the third thing we have to get is this. God uses our suffering, and this kind of goes along with the second thing, but to shape our character. He leverages it to shape us into the person that he's called us to be. So the apostle James talks about this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So he's saying take heart, count it joy when you face trials, because God's going to use it to produce perseverance within you. It's going to help you become the person that he's created you to be, so we can take heart in our suffering, because God is going to help us become the person that he created us to be through it. That's encouraging to me. And the last text I want to share about this is Romans 5, verse 3 through 5. This is Paul. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, and knowing that suffering produces endurance, so kind of similar to what James is saying. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we talked about him last week, who has been given to us. So God uses our hard times to help put hope in, or to put hope within us. Because when we experience bad times, then all of a sudden we realize that this world is not our home, and that just begins to... We to have hope bubble up in our spirits because we're like, I'm not made for this world. I'm made for another world. God uses our suffering to produce character and to eventually produce hope. So we've established that suffering is a reality of life and God will use it. And we established that God created everything good, that God's going to work everything good for us, like even the bad things, and that God uses our suffering to shape our character but that doesn't help when you're in the midst of the suffering that much. Like, okay, God's going to use it for good. But during the suffering, how do we get through it? Well, I'm glad you asked. John 11 answers this question as well. So let's look at it. John 11, verse 28 through 37. Our story continues. All right. So when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here. He's calling for you. I'm totally putting that sassy stuff in there. I don't know if it's actually happened that way. And when she had heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had or had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw, or saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. And then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here again, then my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Did you know that your grief can cause God to be deeply moved and troubled? It can. It doesn't surprise him. Like he knows it's coming, but it still causes him to be troubled. That's pretty crazy. It says something about our God. Verse 34 And he said this, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the sh- or the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And might actually tell us the most about God out of all the verses in the Bible, about his heart. Jesus wept. Verse 36. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, These other are the cynical ones, the grumpy ones. There's always a grumpy group. In every crowd, I feel like they say, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It's a good question. It's a good question. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, the second point is this. Jesus is with us in our suffering. That's how we get through the suffering. Jesus is with us in our suffering. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's with you in the midst of the hard times and the good times? Jesus is with you on the mountaintops and in the shadow of death in the valley. Jesus is with you in both of those seasons of life. This is such a profound piece of this story. Lazarus has died. People are stricken with grief. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, hey, everybody, it's going to be good. Just calm down. Calm down. I'm going to raise him. It's going to be all good. But Jesus doesn't choose to do that. And I think that tells us something about his character. Jesus wants to be with us. Jesus doesn't want to just gloss over our experiences. He doesn't just say, oh, those humans, they don't understand. I'm working it all for good. No, Jesus says, I'm going to be with them in this season, in this experience. Jesus doesn't jump to raising Lazarus. He says, I'm going to take the time to weep with them. So in the midst of your sorrow, Jesus wants to take some time to weep with you and to say, hey, I'm with you. I'm not going to tell you that it's all going to be okay. I'm just going to be with you in this season. And that is nice because sometimes when hard things happen, people want to come back. It's all going to be okay. And to be honest, if you're dealing with grief, you really don't want to hear that at the time. Like you just want someone to listen to you and to be your friend, just to or just to hear you vent. And Jesus lets us vent. Jesus is the really good friend who sits there with tears in his eyes and listens very quietly and is with us in the moment. Isn't that amazing? That's the God we serve. That's the God of the Bible. I love what King David says in Psalm 23. So he's this really popular king in the Old Testament. Can't tell too much of his backstory. But David had encountered some tough times. And in Psalm 23, he talks about God being with him through the tough times. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Wow, that's powerful. You've heard that in a movie before, I'm sure. It's really popular. David says that the Lord is his shepherd. And this is interesting because up until this point in the Psalms, David had just used the word king or deliverer for God. Those kind of words. Like God is amazing, he's tough, he's strong, he's awesome. My dad's better than yours. Those are the kind of words he used. But in this moment, he uses shepherd which alludes to a a shepherd taking care of his sheep. And you think of sheep, they're like running around, going crazy, and the shepherd's just like, come on, stay in here. (laughs) That's what I think of. And that's us in life. We're just like running around. We don't know what we're doing. And Jesus is our shepherd. He's walking alongside us saying, all right, I'm going to work this off for your good. Like you might go off here for a while, but I'm going to get you back here. And Jesus is with us in the midst of our seasons of life. It's incredible. And then he says that Jesus, or God, restores his soul. And even when things are terrible, even when he's in the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't need to fear because God is with him. This is the posture of Jesus towards us when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So when you experience a breakup, when you wrestle with the giant of anxiety, when you lose a loved one, when you get abused by someone you love, Jesus walks through the fire with you as your shepherd. He comforts you, and he may not always prevent it. And I don't know why he doesn't always prevent it. I don't. I can't answer that tonight. But I can promise you that Jesus will be there with you, sustaining you, comforting you, and giving you supernatural peace. The God of the Bible is not a distant God. He's not a dead God. He did not just create the world and spin it and then just leave it to be. No, Jesus is intimately involved in the affairs of the world. Jesus is not surprised by the things going on in our world. He is in the midst of it with us. He's helping us to get through. And the beautiful thing is, Jesus has lived this human life. He's not a God who has not experienced the things that each of us have experienced. But he became one of us. And he even experienced death in order to save us. In Hebrews 2:17 through 18, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This is referring to Jesus. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, propiti- or to make propitiation or sacrifice for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has dealt with the things we've dealt with. So he can be merciful and faithful. Like He doesn't just sit up there like, I don't know what you're going through. I'm God. I'm going to work it out. But Jesus has experienced it and he can relate with us. So this summer... I had an interesting struggle with anxiety. So when I was in high school, I struggled with anxiety big time, and, and also in middle school. But to be honest, since I've been in college, I haven't struggled with it much. Well, I'm not in college anymore, but since I was in college and then out of college, I have not struggled with it. But for whatever reason, anxiety began to rear its ugly head in May. It began to be anxious all the time. And it kind of came to this breaking point when we went on vacation to New York City, Uh, I was just feeling really anxious. And it wasn't because of New York. I was just feeling anxious in general. I love New York. It was amazing. And we went to this church uh, service at night. It was actually Hillsong, if you've heard of them, their campus in New York. And we went to this church service. There's tons of people there. I felt like everyone was under 20. They're like, woo, Hillsong. But anyways, it was like a club, it felt like to me. But it was great. Uh, And, you know, they did worship. And then the guy who writes most of the Hillsong songs was there, and he came up to do the transition, like, Jason did tonight, which he did an amazing job, by the way. Go, Jason. But anyway, so he comes up and he begins to speak. And here's the deal. I've done a lot of these transitions. And there are times where you just don't know what to say and you just pull something out that's truth. It's truth, but it's not necessarily as, you know, genuine or real as it can be sometimes when God, like, puts something specific in your heart. And I could tell at first that he was pulling one of those cards. He was just saying some really, you know, typical things. I'm like, okay, this is good. It's good. It's, you know, Joel Houston. He's a great guy. But then all of a sudden I saw him like turn his head and something just flipped in his spirit. I was like, wow, that's going to get good. I was like, God put something in his heart. And he began to say, he said, there's some people in this room who are struggling with anxiety tonight. And God wants you to know that he wants his peace to flow like a river through your soul. And I just felt singled out. I was like, God, I'm tons of miles away from home. You took me all the way here to tell me this. And I just felt like he was talking right to me. And maybe he was talking to other people too. But I felt the presence of God, and, and God didn't take it away in that, or in that moment, but I felt like God said, I'm here, and I can see what you're going through. It was like God saying, I see it. I'm not distant. I see your struggle, Daniel. There'll be times with anxiety if you struggle with it, where you just feel like you cannot get out of it. There's nothing you can do. And God just wanted to encourage me and say, I'm with you. And he didn't stop there, okay? So the next day, I wake up, and I always get the burst of the day from the Bible app sent to my phone. It's a great way to start your day. I encourage it. You know, sometimes it's like spot on. Sometimes I'm like, okay, it doesn't make any sense to me in my season right now, but great, you know, whatever. But this morning, it was, I believe it's either 1st or 2nd Peter. Let me look, put it in my notes. 1st Peter 5 7. And it says, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. And there's millions of people on the UVersion Bible app. And I know that's a typical verse, I know that it's popular. But that's not a coincidence that I would go to some church service in Hillsong, New York, and then the next morning it would be the verse of the day. God was trying to speak to me and trying to say, he's probably speaking to more people as well, but trying to tell me, Daniel, I'm with you. God sees. God sees your life. He's not surprised. He's not distant. He knows what you're going through. God is aware, and he's trying to speak to you. But sometimes we just have to open up our ears and to listen. God is trying to to speak to you in your hard times. God is trying to speak to you. In my hard times, I'm closest to Jesus. That's what I've learned. There's been some hard times recently for me, and I feel like I'm closer to Jesus than ever before. God is especially near to us in our hard times. We need to get that in this place. God's with you. He's not distant. But God doesn't want us just to know that suffering is a reality. He doesn't want us just to know that he's going to be with us, but he also wants to know that he's going to kick some butt. Okay? Jesus is the victor. He will defeat death and hell in the grave on the last day, and he already has defeated it through his resurrection. God wants us to know that and to have hope, to be a people who burst with hope because he will be victorious over death. Death will not have the final word. Suffering will not have the final word. God wants us to know that, and our story ends that way. So let's read it. John 11 verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again. I feel like this time it's more of a ticked off at death. Like, he's deeply moved like death. You are not going to have the final word today. Comes to the tomb. It's a cave, and a a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead for four days. That's nasty. All right. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Some of us need to believe in this place. We need to believe. We need to have faith that God will move. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He shouted a lot louder than that. I'm just saying. Jesus is screaming, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. And the man who had died came out. He's like a mummy, okay? His hands and feet are bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. How powerful is that? That's the God we serve. That God, the God of the Bible, is still alive today. He can bring life to your dead situations. Do you believe that in this place? Do you believe that? Do you just read this as fun stories or do you know... That the God who's in these scriptures is the same God who lives today. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is the same God who's in the scriptures? Because if you do, it's going to change the way you pray. It's going to change the way you live your life. God has called us to read these stories and to believe that they're true and to see them happen in our own life. And I've seen God's victory over death in my own life. So the third point is this. Jesus is the victor over suffering. The story of Lazarus shows us that suffering will not have the last word. Evil will not have the last word. And racism will not have the last word. Terrorism will not have the last word. Grief will not have the last word. And loss will not have the last word. Death will not have the final word, not in God's kingdom. Jesus is, and he will be, victorious over suffering. On the last day, he will shout to our dead bodies, literally. Like, our dead bodies will rise in the last day. That's what the scriptures say. He'll shout to our dead bodies, come out, and will rise up from the grave. And God will separate us by those who have put, it, or put our faith in him and by those who have not. And those who have put their faith in Jesus are going to be with Him for eternity. When Jesus died and rose again, he declared victory over death and suffering. He took the sting out of death and suffering and declared that death will not have the final word. I love 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus and how it applies to our life. Verse 55 through 57 says this, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And earlier in this chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about how Jesus' resurrection is what guarantees our future resurrection, as I talked about. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our victory on the last day. So when Jesus just rose from the dead, he did not only personally defeat death, but he also secured our future victory over death come on somebody. We're going to defeat death on the last day. If we put our hope in Jesus, we can have confidence that we're going to have eternal life and be with God forever. But until then, because we're not there yet, we could be soon, who knows, but until then, until the last day, we will still experience suffering. And we're living in this age of the already not yet. That's what theologians call it. It's the already, because Jesus has already died on the cross and rose from the dead, and now we can have relationship with God through putting our faith in him. So the kingdom of God has already come in that sense, but it's the not yet because Jesus still has to come back to defeat death once and for all and to set the whole world right. He has to come back a second time. So we're in this stage of already not yet. In the last book of the Bible, or the book of Revelation, the author John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, kind of cool, prophesies what the last day will be like when Jesus defeats death and suffering once and for all. It's Revelation 21, three through five. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Jesus likes to yell. Okay, I'm just saying. Saying, behold, I don't know this. Yeah, so anyways, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we can take heart, because death and suffering will not have the last word. Jesus defeated death, sent hell, and the grave on the cross, and when he rose from the dead. And in the end, in the age of Revelation, at the end here, we're going to experience a world without suffering and death, And death will lose its sting once and for all when Christ raises us from the dead to be with him for eternity. And Jesus will wipe away every tear. He will just eradicate death and mourning and weeping and crying and pain. He will make everything new. So with that said, Jesus did not just die on the cross to forgive you. Jesus did not just die on the cross to deliver you. But Jesus also died on the cross and rose from the dead to guarantee that death will not have the final word and to secure a secure future for us with him. So as we started today with John 16, I think it'd be appropriate to read it again. Jesus says this. He says, I've said these things to, or to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribu- or tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In this world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, for Jesus, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, the great I am, the God of Jacob, Which that just means the God of the Old Testament, because Jacob was this cool guy in the Old Testament. Okay, we'll talk about that sometime, I'm sure in the future. I'm not sure when. But Jesus is that same God. He defeated it all. And we can take heart because he's going to overcome the world. So the worship team would come back up. The main idea tonight is this again. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Jesus is the one true goat, come on, because he is victorious. He's not just a savior, he's not just a deliverer, he's not just a king or a friend, as we'll talk about in the next two weeks, but he's also a victor over death, suffering, and evil. Each of us in this room has a story tonight. We've all walked into this place with the past, and inevitably we've all stood face to face with suffering, evil, or death. So maybe you walked in here dealing with grief tonight. Maybe you lost a family member. Maybe you walked in here feeling like you never can live up to other people's expectations of you. Or maybe you're sick tonight. Maybe you're dealing... All right, there we go. Or maybe you're addicted to something tonight. So no matter where you're at, we've all touched suffering, death, and evil in this life. And I believe that Jesus wants to meet with you tonight just as he met with Mary and Martha. He wants to be the one who's with you during your suffering. And he wants you... So you have to do something in this. He wants you to allow him to use your suffering for good. And he wants you to put your hope in him, not in trying to have your best life now, not in trying to create this great world for yourself. But Jesus wants you to put your hope in him. To not put your hope in the goodness of the world or the progression of society or anything like that. But to put your hope in him, in him alone. Not in a leader, not in... uh, Or some political belief, not in any of that. That's all garbage compared to Jesus. Jesus wants you to put your hope in him. So I ask you tonight, where is your hope? Who's it in, or what's it in? Where is your hope tonight? I pray that it would be in Jesus, the greatest of all time. I pray that you'd put it in the only secure place. Jesus is the only one who can truly hold your hope and not crumble under it. Because all the other things are gonna give way. All the other things are not gonna be able to hold up your hope. But Jesus can do it, the goat can do it. The lamb of God is able to hold your hope and come through on it. That should get us excited tonight. When everything falls apart in your life, Jesus wants you to stand on the firm foundation of his love. And there's some here tonight who have went through a tough time recently and you've wrestled with whether or not God loves you or God is present. You've been tempted to blame your sufferings on God. I've been there. I've been there. I've been tempted to blame your sufferings on God. I plead with you tonight to know that God does not cause your suffering. Yes, he allows it, but he does not cause it. And know that God can use your suffering. And know that God is with you in the midst of your suffering. And know that God will defeat your suffering on the last day. And there's others tonight who walked in here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you've been putting your hope in all the wrong things. You've been putting, or putting your hope in academic achievement, putting your hope in popularity, putting your hope in just getting the best wife or best husband or best girlfriend or boyfriend. You put your hope in having all the great friends. You put your hope in your political belief. You hope your party will win. And if your party wins, then everything's gonna be okay. You put your hope in that place. But here's the reality. My party's won before and it's lost before and neither time works out that well, okay? So here's the deal. Put your hope in Jesus stop putting your hope in other things. Jesus is the only one who can really hold up your hope. So I'm asking you tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm asking you tonight to put your faith in the greatest of all time. I'm asking you, bluntly, saying put your faith in Jesus, because that's the only one. Jesus is the only one who can sustain your hope. Jesus is the only one who's going to come through, because if you don't put your hope in Jesus, we're all going to die. Jesus is the only one who can defeat death. He's the only one who can... Or can actually come and redeem your suffering. There's no other place that can redeem your suffering in this world. There's no other place. Only Jesus. So tonight, put your faith in Jesus. I'm challenging you to do that. Put all your hope in him. Put everything on him. So if you would stand in this place.